Hang on. I- I'm trying... I don't want to misspeak. Let me look up something about Denise Richards. I'm Denise Richards. Hi, my name's Denise Richards. I'm here in New York City. I'm going to show you the pizza tour to last a lifetime. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Information with Zach and John. Come on, you apes, you want to live forever? Welcome to For Your Infilmation, a podcast for good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. Uh, we're your hosts, John. And Zach. Now, March Madness is going out with a bang this year. Uh, I say this year like we've done a ton of these before. We really haven't at all, ever. This podcast didn't even exist a year ago, but we're going out with a bang this year. We're going out with a bang for the first year and maybe the last year? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, let, let's hope not. Let, let's hope we're all around next year to do this again. Uh, yeah, we got something extra crispy today. Uh, so this is a real nugget of truth in the life of every movie lover. This is a spectacular film, I think, in uh, some, some different kind of ways, maybe unconventional ways. Definitely unconventional for sure. Uh, if you didn't gleam at the title before you clicked on here, which uh, if you clicked on this without reading the title, good on you. You're a true fan. All of you people that pick and choose which ones you listen to based on if you've seen the movie or not, fuck you. Yeah, fuck still you. listen anyway. Yeah, fuck you. It's, a, it's an excuse to go watch the movie. Perfect. That's the whole point. Yeah. Anyway, if you if you didn't gleam at the title, we are doing Starship Troopers this week. Yay, love this movie. You love this movie, huh? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I don't love it the same way that I loved uh, Casablanca, or Casablanca, uh, however you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't love it the same way I love that movie. I don't love it the same way that I love, um, I'm gonna pick another movie that I like. Um, what other movies do I like, Zach? You liked Juno. You like, um... Juno was good. You like Night of the Living Dead. I would say I like this in the same way that I like Night of the Living Dead. Like, oh, really? It is a good movie. It is an important movie, but it's not like a conventional movie. No, for sure not. It's, it's definitely a... You have to be really into this kind of thing to be into this movie. And I'm very much into sci-fi. Um, some of the movie seems a little derivative to me, but I mean, that's, it's, it's neither here or there. Like, a, like yeah, we'll a lo- talk about that. We'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there again. Tagline for the podcast. We'll get there eventually. Unless we don't let us know the times that we don't actually get there. That would be interesting. Yeah. There's probably an abundance of those at this point, I'd say. There has to be at least two. All right. So unlike other movies in March Madness, you knew about this movie, uh, even, or rather, I expect you knew about this movie before I even brought it up. Is that true? I did know about this movie. Um, My knowledge of this movie was that, you know, it's based on a book. It had Neil Patrick Harris in it. Um, There's a absolute ass ton of fucking straight-to-video sequels for this movie. So I kind of assumed... This was not the big box office thing that they wanted it to be, because otherwise all those movies would have not been straight to video. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I would go ahead and say that's a a safe assumption to make about the movie. Uh, Not a box office smash, but uh, it does have a bit of a cult following, and it was commercially successful, unlike um, Poultry Geist or something else like that, which also really only has a big appeal in the home video market. Right, so this is different from other things that we've covered this month. This actually had a legitimate theatrical release. Yes, uh, and a pretty big one at that, and we'll get to covering that here pretty soon. Uh, The film's relatively well-known, well-produced, and well-remembered. So why did you not watch it? Do you have a reason? Did you just think it was dumb? Like, what what gives? I have absolutely no excuse to have not seen this movie. It's just something that, like... I kind of knew I'd probably watch eventually, but just, it was never on a streaming platform. I never really had, like, a like a good reason to, like, rent it, mainly because renting movies is simultaneously hard slash easier now. Because, like, I hate paying $5 to have a digital download for two days. That's all I get with this. It's kind of like in college when you get a uh, like a math course and they make you pay $100 for a digital textbook that's only good for like eight weeks. Right. It's exactly like that. And so, you know, it's not like the days of Blockbuster. Oh, those holy days where my, right. uh, 
where my movie obsession uh, was had its genesis. Blockbuster uh, yes, was fledgling. my uh, B- Blockbuster was my Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. uh, if so to speak. How sinful! How sinful! Yes, exactly. I I used to um, sorry, mom, if you're listening, but um, I used to actually uh just put movies underneath whatever my sister was renting, so that way my mom would like never look at what was underneath, and I would. I rented some pretty heinous shit that my mom never knew about and paid for. Wow. Uh, okay, top three heinous movies that you got. Um, first of all, I watched the South Park movie, uh, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, um, at the age of mm, maybe 12. Uh, nice. Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. Classic. And Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth, I feel like you could have... Well, it's kind of rough. It's not like It's not like this. It's definitely rated R. Yeah, okay. okay. I actually saw that movie relatively recently. I want to say I talked about it on the podcast a little bit. I don't know. I don't remember. It's not Starship Troopers. <laughs> well, that, that that's also the tagline of the podcast. Um, this is not whatever thing we're talking about. <laughs> right, right. We have a relatively loose script, and uh, we just kind of pack in other movies that we've seen. Yeah, in and exactly. It. Which for you is like... How many episodes do we have? Like, 16? <laughs> I think we have more than that now. I think we have, like, 21, 22. I don't know. I, I'm not going to do the quick math in my head real quick. You'd think that I would know what number episode we were on. Okay, Zach, well, how about you give us the cocktail so we can have a little something to sip on? A little something to sip on. Uh, so, just a forewarning, if you've never seen this movie, uh, it's fucking gross. Um, it, it, yeah. Buckets of blood. Not something I expected, by the way. Uh, that That is one way the movie definitely really? surprised me. Um... Sorry, not to backtrack at all, but, like, there was so much more, like, nudity and profanity and, um, blood and guts than I expected, because I also didn't gleam to see what the rating is, because I am 26 years old and I don't pay attention to that shit. Yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> but, so I didn't know this was a rated R movie. I assumed it was, like, a PG-13 thing, like, um, like, maybe, like, a sci-fi channel-ish movie. That's kind of what I was expecting. I I was not prepared for what I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just now dawned on me that every movie that I've picked out for March Madness has had like gratuitous amounts of like violence. Yeah, in I was thinking that while watching this and um I was going to ask you if you're okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. These are just again the nuggets. You got to get the sweet nuggets. And sometimes those nuggets uh have uh, titties attached to them and then get their heads chopped off. Beautiful titty nuggets. <laughs> Beautiful titty nuggets. Anyway, <laughs> so the cocktail for this week is called bug juice. Ooh, so fun. you remember when you went to camp and they had bug juice and it was pretty much just like fruit punch? This ain't that. This is alcoholic fruit punch, which makes it better Ooh. and plus twenty one, much like this movie. So what you're gonna want to do, beautiful, is uh, I made this in a picture, but you feel free to be bad with your bad self and put this in a fucking bowl like it's prom. But I made it in a picture so that I could put it. In my fridge. In my fridge. All right. Yeah. No one likes to put a punch bowl yeah, in their fridge. Yeah, it's really hard. Also, I have like a tiny fridge for some reason. I actually had to go out because of all this uh, doomsday prepping I'm doing. I had to go. I had to go uh, fish out my old um, fuck it, my mini fridge from college that was currently at my fiance's parents' house. So that is where all my ah. alcohol is now because alcohol takes up at least twenty five percent of my fridge. Anyway. And 25% of my budget. Ooh, not like that. I hoard alcohol. <laughs> I only drink on the weekends because I'm fun and, uh, you know, whatevs. Anyway, so to make this, <laughs> what you're gonna, you're gonna need a couple of ingredients. You're gonna need green Hawaiian punch. You are gonna need some peach schnapps. You are going to need a vodka of your choice. I prefer Tito's. You might prefer something else and you're wrong. You also need some limes and some strawberries. And not just one strawberry, you need like a, a couple strawberries, like, if you're putting it in a pitcher. Anyway. Gratuitous amount of strawberries. Not gratuitous either. Although what you're about to do to them is pretty gratuitous. Stay tuned. All right, so when you're making an alcoholic punch, it, it, I mean, you kind of throw bath out the window. Like, it's really up to you. Like, if you want a whole bottle of Tito's in there, then that's on you, man. Just remember, you have to drink that shit. So I that's made this true. batch, this first batch, and it actually came out pretty good. So I was like, okay, these are the measurements I'm going to give for what I did. 
So I poured in about up to the, I'd say like 60% mark with the green fruit punch. Then I mixed okay. in equal parts peach schnapps and Tito's. I poured it into the thing ever so gently all the way up until it was at about like the 80% mark. Then I mixed with a spoon. All right, so you could leave that alone and that's a pretty good punch. Like that's, that's pretty good. Good job, dude, you did it. But what if you wanted to make it look more like the movie? What if you wanted to, you know, have some body parts flying at you while you're, you know, drinking your drink and watching this movie? So what you can... Titty, titty punch. punch. So you're gonna chop off some titty and you're gonna put it right into the fucking drink. Now where are you gonna find titty? I don't know. That's up to you, man. Anyway, don't do that. I mean, you could just watch Cannibal Holocaust. Could, yeah, watch Cannibal Call Holocaust. Uh, those guys are real good at chopping off titties and tortoises. Anyway, we need to do that movie one day. <laughs> Rip tortoise. Justice, Justice for, for turtle. turtle. The absolute most disgusting thing I've ever seen put to film. Anyway, Cannibal Holocaust. Rent it from your local, uh, I don't know. I think you have to buy that. I don't think you can rent it. What? Uh, yeah, that weird guy named Jeff that lives at the end of the cul-de-sac probably has it in his garage that he's turned into like Yeah, you know that guy who was that kid who had the VHS copies, copy of Faces of Death and he would like, you know, give it out to people? It's that kid, but he's an adult. Look for him. He looks like a pedophile, but he's actually a really nice guy. Anyway. Yeah, once you get to know him, and bring some Budweiser's, because he yeah, drinks that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, you know, Doug didn't really get into the fucking craft beer game. He he kind of knows uh, Anheuser-Busch, nah. and that's about it. <laughs> anyway, majorly, majorly off topic. Anyway, so after you put the Tito's and the fucking peach schnapps in the pitcher, or in the bowl, or into a shoe, I don't know what you're drinking this out of, you... I'll drink it out of a boot. It's from a shoe. Um, <laughs> Disgusting liqueur to drink from a shoe, by the way. What the fuck? <laughs> like, the only thing worse might be, like, some rum chata or something. <laughs> like, straight out of the shoe. <laughs> I mean, if you're drinking anything out of a shoe, it's definitely going to taste like shoe. Unless it's new shoe. Can we make new shoe cocktails? I don't want to talk okay. about this anymore. <laughs> Alright, so, for the third time now, after you put the schnapps and the Tito's into the whatever the fuck you're putting it in, you're gonna get a knife, and you're gonna get your la limes, and you're gonna get your strawberries. And you know what you're gonna do, John? You know what you're gonna do with it? Uh, are you gonna take him to dinner? You're gonna take him to dinner, and then you're gonna go back to your apartment, you're gonna pretend like you're gonna have fun, sexy times, but then you're gonna go all fucking American Psycho on it. I want you to not cut- oh, no. Th these limes and these strawberries, like, you know, like dainty little grandma slices, like, ooh, look, they're perfect circles. No, I want you to fucking hack and slash this shit. I want you, I, I want people to not know that this was a fucking lime or a strawberry like five seconds ago. Like, make it disgusting. Like, I'm talking jagged edges. If you have a fucking serrated knife, I would use that shit on this. So oh, just no. fucking hack it up, have fun. Make whoever's living with you a little nervous. Uh, my fiance currently went to go stay with her parents for a few weeks. Don't know what that's about. But you know what? I have this alcohol, and alcohol is going to be your best friend forever. So you throw right. that in there. You give it another little stir. It looks disgusting, but it tastes great. And uh, that that's it. That's my cocktail for this week. Bug juice. I love that. I love a good Dude, batch, batch cocktail. Batch cocktails are great. You know, if you're having a party or a watch party, like you, you, like you can get a whole bunch of your other friends who haven't seen Starship Troopers, and you guys can come over to your little one-bedroom apartment, and you know, you guys can all sit on fucking lawn chairs because you're fucking 25. But you know, you could do it, and then you can make this, and then they could be like, "Hey, you have a shit ton of alcohol. Why don't you use that to, you know, buy some chairs for us to come over?" And I'm, and then you could be like, "This is why I don't invite you guys here." And then they leave, and then you have all the alcohol to yourself. You gave him the, the old switcheroo. You you showed them you don't need them, and that is important. Exactly, but most importantly, you showed booze that you do in fact need it, and you might have a problem. No, no problems here. We we don't we don't accept problems as problems here. Problems are just you know things that don't have solutions yet. Mm -hmm. I like it. That's how, that's how I live my life. Not that's a problem. You know that's how I live my life with no problems because all the problems are gonna eventually have solutions, and. To fix the problem of me not wanting to give a synopsis for this thing, 
I'm gonna solve it by bringing in our good friend, friend of the show, Frank Synopsis. Frank, how you doing today? Hey, oh, I am here, and I know you didn't think I was going to be here. I know you thought that I was locked down someplace. Trust me, I found my way out of lockdown a I couple times already. I assume that you would not be in quarantine, Frank, because I know you, and I know that you don't have an iPhone. You have no way of watching the news. So I'm actually confused at what you think this lockdown is about. Well, uh, I don't really have any answers for that. It hasn't affected my life at all. I am basically living like a criminal on the run, mostly because I probably am a criminal probably on the run. Probably or are. Okay, Probably. well, I guess we didn't vet you before we let you in here. So, uh, Frank, why don't you tell me about Starship Troopers? Tell me about the troopers in the stars on the ships. Oh, Starship Troopers. I love Starship Troopers. What a good movie. I love it. It reminds me of the Camden, New Jersey YMCA. Why is that? It's got everything you could want. It's got squashing bugs. It's got Nazi imagery. It's got steamy shower scenes. It's got big-ass rifles, and it's got a green violin. Uh, I, what goes on in New Jersey? Why is New Jersey so weird? I live next to it, and I don't know why it's so weird. Frank, just tell me about the movie. All right, here we go. Johnny Rico is the son of a wealthy businessman, ready to strike out on his own after high school. Rather than take his father's advice, Johnny follows his friends into the Federal Service, a military organization tasked with promoting the interstellar expansion of humanity and protecting them from the perils of space. Danger awaits as an unexpected attack on Earth sparks a war with the infamous bug species from planet Klendathu. Would you like to know more? Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I always love uh, movies that end with a question. Thank you, Frank. Uh, you are duly dismissed to uh, go back to not quarantining and uh, spreading the co coronavirus to all the good little boys and girls of the world. Kind of like a fucked up uh, Johnny Appleseed meets Santa Claus kind of thing. Wonderful, wonderful. Now I will answer your question with a question. More bus fare, can uh, I have? Yeah, talk to the producer as you walk out. All right, I'll see you later. All right, John, are you back? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. I just... There's all this slime, like, on the rug. Uh, I don't know if you spilled some of your cocktail in there or what, but it's, uh, it's really sticky and gross. It's, like, green. Um, yeah. That does sound like the cocktail, but it could also have been on the bottom of Frank's shoe. Uh, he's been walking around, so, uh, I don't know... I don't know what kind of shit's going on in Central Park, but, uh, it is disgusting. All right. Oh, he does live in Central yeah, Park, Yeah, how could you he? forget, John? Oh, you're never in here. I mean, you barely know the guy. I really do. He just kind of comes in, does the stuff, and leaves. Yeah, man. I, I... We gotta get you guys in a room together at some point. Like, th there's... Th there's no reason. We should just buy another mic. But I really don't want to buy just another mic for Frank because I know he won't clean it. Yeah, yeah, he really won't. He won't take any measures to prevent the spread of germs. He's not going to uh, put a screen in front of it. He's probably going to put it in his mouth at some mm, point. Mouth phone. But again, I don't know the guy. I just, just based on what I know about him. Listening back to the episodes. <laughs> you listen back to the episodes? As soon as I'm done editing this shit, I am done. I don't give a fuck anymore. Anyway, John... Why don't you tell me about this yes. movie? What? This was your job this week. This has been a fucking breeze okay. for me. Yeah, I bet. All right, so uh, Starship Troopers was released November 7th, 1997, and it was produced by TriStar and Touchstone Pictures. I think TriStar was later bought by Columbia, and Columbia then assumed ownership of I this title. I believe so, yeah. Um, Columbia bought up a bunch of some of the smaller studios, like, around the 80s. Just because, you know, they were like, hey, why, don't, why do we have all these small studios when we can have, like, four big studios? And then there were four big studios, and then Disney got greedy, and uh, now there's three. Yeah, there's uh, Universal, there's Columbia, there's Disney, and there's Troma. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think people really put Troma into this category, but yes, there are still small art house studios out there. It's just, they're not, you know, putting out movies into, like, you know, major movie theaters for, you know, every... Uh, john and jane to see that's a bummer we need some grassroots films we need some more of that going on however this is not one of those films this film is ironically overdone uh directed by paul verhoven so he is a dutch director that has done a lot of work over in the mm -hmm. states uh he's famous for robocop total recall and showgirls just to name a few um kind of uh a master honestly these are all very well known and well respected films well, kinda. Showgirls is remembered better than it actually was. At Showgirls is like it. it I, I never want to cover Showgirls on here just because it. It's just a tough movie to get through because it. It's so poorly done. And like the, the only thing I would say that like you could get out of Showgirls now is like if 
you are a big fan of Saved by the Bell, Showgirls should be right on your radar because it'll ruin Saved by the Bell for you, and then you can go watch better TV shows because Saved by the Bell sucks, and you know it sucks. So stop it. Boy Meets World was better. Corey and Topanga wow. forever. Topanga is so much more fucking bangable and realistic than Kelly Kapowski, and fuck you if you disagree with me. I have absolutely no opinion because I watch none of those shows. Uh, let's move <laughs> on from that. A screenplayer by Edward Neumeyer, uh, who also worked on RoboCop with Verhoeven. Uh, produced by Alan Marshall, uh, famous for Midnight Express, and John Davison, who's famous for Airplane, another movie that we Airplane is such a fucking great movie, man. It is. It's tremendous. It had a budget of $105 million and a box office return internationally of $121.2 okay, million. Okay, so it made it back. It did eventually. I want to say the U.S. box office return was only about $50 million, <laughs> so they got about half the budget back. Yeah, so internationally it, it recouped the losses, and then, uh, of course, rentals and everything would have kicked in after that, but harder to measure that. Um, Paul Verhoeven is actually a really interesting guy. Uh, he was born in Amsterdam in 1938 and lived through World War II, uh, later citing it as like a disturbing experience, but also reflecting on it as like an exciting adventure, or at least that's how he like, I don't know, looked at it to get through it. I mean, he was like a child. Like, he was like seven or eight when it ended. Yeah, I mean, like, so it, that's kind of like uh, me and you saying like, oh man, 9-11 was such a weird thing to go through, when it was just like, it was really just another day at first grade, and the teacher and my mom were crying, which was just normal. Right, and if you were an adult, like a fly-on-the-wall situation, you would have been like, oh my god, like, but, but you know, when you're a kid in there and you're like, what the heck is that? What is everyone going crazy about? I don't understand. Uh, that's a whole discussion for another day. I'm sure we can cover a 9-11 movie oh, at some point. Oh, dear God, are there, do we have to? There are no good ones. Like Hot takes. No, no there are no good <laughs> ones. Like, they, they made them all way too close to the event. Like, uh, have you ever seen World Trade Center with Nick Cage? You're telling me you're going to put such a sensitive subject with Nick Cage as the star? Fuck off. <laughs> the early 2000s were a different right. time. Let's get back to the 90s when this shit happened. Right. Or, better yet, go back to the history of Verhoeven. Okay, so uh, he actually earned degrees in math and physics and opted to pursue filmmaking as his passion. Okay. That's kind of like me. Not the first That's kind of like me, where I pursued filmmaking as my passion, but then ended up working in a warehouse. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. Uh, he was actually conscripted into the Dutch Navy and refined his skills making military documentary films. Uh, one of them earned the Golden Sun Award for Military Films in 1965. That's pretty dope. And then he made Showgirls? <laughs> he did. He did make Showgirls. That's such a weird trajectory. This is kind of like a turnaround that you would expect out of like a Peter Jackson type character where like he makes Lord of the Rings and he makes all this really epic stuff but you look at his early catalog and it's like oh my god you just took a bunch of guts and threw them in yeah, a camera. Yeah. Um, Dead Alive and uh, Meet the Feebles are not for the faint of heart. So I've heard. I haven't actually oh. seen that yet. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get to that one here pretty soon um in hindsight uh, paul barovin is like best known for his really really good special effects uh realistic violence and sexuality as well kind of an in-your-face director but very matter-of-fact and almost academic about it in a sense uh not in an exploitative kind uh, of way i don't know man like i mean it, it felt pretty exploitative to me especially maybe not so much in this movie like i mean yeah there were titties but it was like really only one set of titties you saw through the whole movie so i guess it's not as bad i mean like you know the sex scene was kind of weird like it, it like it seemed very realistic like it seemed plausible it was uh i want to say tastefully done and we'll talk about that later on because uh, this is one of the many inconsistencies from the movie and the robert heinlein novel of the same name that is trust me we'll touch on that no pun intended <laughs> but um Let's get into the cast, because this movie has an all-star cast before the all-stars were Which stars. Which is always the most fun. Like, it's always fun to watch these movies where it's like, you know, is that fucking Johnny Depp? Not that Johnny Depp's in this movie, but, you know, like, imagine. No, instead we got Denise Richards and Neil Patrick well, well, Harris. Yeah, okay, let, let's go Let's go line by line. Okay, so starting from the top, we have Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico. So, uh, he was in Sleepy Hollow and Alita Battle Angel Alita last Battle Angel, that's a movie that I need to check out. I heard it was, like, worth, like, a rent, like, from Redbox. So I, I might go check that out if I can find a Redbox near me. 
Yeah, I've also heard it was pretty good. Haven't gotten around to watching it yet. Next on the list is Denise Richards as Carmen Ibanez, uh, famous from The World Is Not Enough in 2001 and Love Actually in and 2003. cult favorite TV show, Blue Mountain State. Give me a hell, give me a hell yeah. I totally forgot about that, but you are good totally God. right. <laughs> I, I, I want to do a bonus episode where we talk about Blue Mountain State, because Blue Mountain State is amazing. I, it I just, really is, uh, in like that early Spike TV kind of way. I'm just so shocked that anyone gave anyone money to do that TV show. It is, if you haven't watched Blue Mountain State, it is like the most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever watched in my entire life. It is stupid, and it'll either make you feel stupider for watching it, or it'll make you feel so much better about your life. And it's like... Yeah, one of the two. Maybe it's both. Like, at Who least knows? I didn't make this. Yeah. Next on the list is Neil Patrick Harris as Carl Jenkins. Uh, I don't think Neil Patrick Harris needs an introduction. He is uh, a major A-list Neil celebrity Neil Patrick today. Harris. Um, uh, I, I guess his biggest thing before this would have been uh, he was Doogie Howser. He was. Uh, he also was in a number of TV series as well. Uh, nothing that I knew off the top of my head, but he has a long rap sheet of stuff up until 1997. I, I want to say starting mm -hmm. in 88. Yeah, with Doogie Howser. Child, childish and Doogie. childish yeah. MD. Um, which, for the record, if I was ever like, oh man, I, I gotta get, the, I gotta fill this knife wound, doctor, please help me, and then a child walks in, I will choose to die. <laughs> I don't want to live in a world where there is a child um... who is A, smart enough to be a doctor as a child, and, you know, that'll make me feel bad about myself, and, uh, I just don't want a kid doing that, like, you know. What if he's got a? What if he's got to look at his iPad? What if he can't keep his eyes off his iPad while he's working on my knife wound? I am appalled, Zach. Can you believe that we live in a world <laughs> where we can have child soldiers and not child doctors? I mean, we shouldn't have children. So we shouldn't have soldiers. Period. We shouldn't have to fight each other. But I guess you're right. You know what? Fuck it. Child, whoever's working on me, work on me. There you go. Just put me to sleep. As long as you can afford it. So we also have Jake Busey as Ace Levy, uh, famous from The Frighteners in 1996, and also son of actor Gary Busey. Which is awesome, and I could tell. Yeah, there's a strong family resemblance. I had to look it up because I was like, I was like, that guy looks like Gary Busey, and I was like, oh shit, it is Gary Busey. He is son. partially Gary Busey. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dina Meyer played Dizzy Flores, uh, famous for Johnny Mnemonic in 1995, where she co-starred with um, Christian Bale. Who was that in that movie? Nice. Uh, it, it was someone like that. I don't know. Another person who's a major A-list celebrity today, and uh, Saw in 2004, and some of the Saw sequels afterwards. She she was probably one of my favorite characters in this whole thing and it sucks that she died. and you know what else sucks she doesn't exist in the book we'll get there uh next on the list is clancy brown as sergeant zim uh clancy brown is mr krabs from spongebob squarepants <laughs> yeah that, that it's guy. so funny to see like it's so funny to see um the characters from spongebob in like live action movies or TV shows like um, uh, fucking uh, Patrick Starr. His voice actor is uh, Marshall's dad on How I Met Your Mother. Crickets from me. I've never seen How I Met Your Mother. That is okay. It was a very much a time and place show. That's good to know. So now I can avoid it. Uh, yeah, Clancy Brown's in a lot of stuff. He has a really, really long list of things he's been a part of. Uh, everything from TV to movies to video games. And uh, in that vein, we also have Michael Ironsides as Lieutenant Raskzak. He was in Total Recall, X-Men First Class, Sam Fisher, and the Tom Clancy Splinter Cell game series as well, so more of that kind of crossing the boundaries from movies to TV to video games to all kinds of stuff. A lot of voice acting going on. That's really cool. Like, dude, I'd love to be a fucking voice actor. That would be so cool. Yeah. But, like, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I always forget that they have voice actors in video games. Like, it just doesn't, like, register to me that someone is making all those... Ugh! Ooh, ooh, ooh. Noises. Yeah, I think those are more like extras. Like, you just get the guy from development to come in and make a couple of grunts into the microphone, you know? You, you can do that type of stuff. But I guess you gotta have someone real to do an actual character. Right, right, right. Someone who knows what they're doing, not just me, who can go, Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Just someone who can grunt in a microphone. <laughs> can we get nondescript grunt? Uh, how nondescript do you want it? Uh, we want it to be so nondescript, it could either be sex, throwing up, or maybe a fart? <clears throat> Beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> one take, one and done. One and done. I'm gonna make it in this biz, guys. Yeah, they really could have just taken some bits from this podcast and just used that as extras. Like, I don't even think I would have charged them for that. I, 
I absolutely would charge them for that. Are you fucking kidding? We're gonna need all the money we can get because apparently the government thinks that uh, rent and utilities and food for the month is $1,200 and uh, fuck that. All right, yeah, we're you getting into some current events here. Daddy, yeah. daddy Warbucks money. There's some commentary. <laughs> uh, I'ma take what I can get, I guess? I guess. I fucking guess. Anyway, not what we're talking not about. Not at all what we're talking about. Let's talk about the critical reception of this movie because it was not great. Uh, critical reception is overwhelmingly negative. Uh, people weren't really able to reconcile the visual appeal from like the strange ideas and like the kind of questionable acting going on here. Uh, they thought that the performance was wooden, not realizing that it was kind of a part of this world they were building. And we can talk more about that when we get to like the novel versus film stuff, but people didn't appreciate that. Mm -hmm. They didn't really see it. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it a two out of four stars, uh, said that it was the most violent kitty movie ever made. I kind of have to agree with his assumption there. Like, not knowing what, like, what they were going for, if you're just watching this, like, blank-faced, it, it almost feels like a, like a sexy, violent Spy Kids. That's a weird way of looking at it, but I see what you mean. Dude, get this guy to make a Spy Kids reboot, like an adult, gritty Spy Kids movie. Like a film noir Spy Kids? <laughs> Hell fucking yeah, dude, I'd be there in five minutes. Oh my god. Alright, so uh, he also went on to say that if uh, the Star Wars is the humanist side of sci-fi, then Starship Troopers is the totalitarian side of sci-fi. Uh, Roger Ebert kind of got this. He actually read the book earlier in life, and when the movie came out, he knew what he was getting into, but he also kind of missed the boat on some of the other stuff that they were trying to do in the production side by turning it into a sci-fi action movie and not a sci-fi philosophy story. Uh, you could think of this kind of in the same way of uh, Ender's Game, which you kind of brought up earlier. Uh, it's just not really something that translates super well to the screen, but they had to do it anyway. Right, like, I got serious Ender's Game vibes from this movie. Like, almost like Ender's Game and then that one scene in Wreck-It Ralph where he uh, goes into the the Call of Duty game, which, like, it, or it's like, it's like Call of Duty, but if Call of Duty had aliens, it actually kind of looks a lot like this movie. Now I'm wondering if that was a reference. Well, hmm. technically there was a game released in 2005 by, uh, I don't remember who it was. It was a smaller studio from the UK. But uh, they did release a game. Which is cool. Like, this movie definitely feels like a video game. Yeah, they even got uh, Casper Van Dien to come back and voice act in it. Really? They did. Was he not doing anything? No, he's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, eh, I don't... He kind of looks like uh, Colin Jost from SNL. Don't know who that is, but okay. I agree. Look up a picture of him. He's marrying Scarlett Johansson. Anyway, Good for him. Um, uh, <laughs> Starship Troopers has an IMDb score of 7.2 out of 10 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 60% right now, which, considering, I'd say is pretty high. Yeah, um, the 7.2 on IMDb, that's probably a lot of fans. This movie has a lot of fans, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it does. Um, it has so many fans. Um, but it's like, we're, we're not talking like puppet master levels, we're talking like fucking probably the same amount of fans there are for like Arrested Development and things like that. Um... So they're gonna go on there and they're gonna fix any negative scores. Like they'll they'll fucking make new email addresses, change their IP addresses, just so this movie doesn't dip below 5.0. Well, that's commitment from a fan base. It's a similar thing we see with the Toxic Avenger, you know, from earlier in the month. Uh, people float that movie really hard. Yeah, and people float this movie pretty hard too. Like if you meet a Starship Troopers fan, they're gonna fucking let you know. Yeah, yeah. That they're a Starship Trooper fan. And 60% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I'd say that's fair, because it's kind of like a, uh, you're either gonna like this or love this, but there's a good chance that you might feel good to indifferent about it. I see what you mean. Which I float, there, there were points in the movie where I floated between good but indifferent to, uh, liking it, so I, I kind of floated in that camp. I never really went into a, oh my god, fuck this movie kind of thing because i was just like what an odd little thing i'm watching right it is and that's kind of a beautiful part of it is that if you're into this type of movie you're really into this type of movie if you're not it's kind of a curio and uh let's move into that side let's move into like the behind the scenes stuff and what made this movie so interesting um it started its life as a sci-fi script called bug hunt at outpost nine so it was not actually starship troopers there was a script for a totally unrelated movie and then they realized, as they were going through the production side, the similarities between the script and Starship Troopers and the rights for Starship Troopers were acquired and retrofitted into this script. 
Now, it was funny because like, you watch the behind the scenes stuff for this movie, and you're like, okay, they know about it, they know about the book, but it's funny that it wasn't the book, and they were like, no, we were shocked to find no one had bought the rights to this book yet. And I was like, I mean, are you really, though? Are you really shocked that nobody did this? Because if you read the book, you're like, okay, this looks like something that would be really hard to do in a movie, and it was. Right. Just like uh, they, just like we talked about, Ender's Game. Ender's Game would be a very hard movie to make, considering uh, in the book of Ender's Game, there's a lot of, uh, how, does, how do I put this delicately, uh, child nudity. Um, so, like, <laughs> very hard to make a movie with that in yeah, it. Yeah, they usually but, just cut that know, stuff out altogether. Like, if you read it and you realize that they all bang each other, like, and they're like, oh, that's not in the movie. Uh, sorry, that's a spoiler alert for anybody who is planning on reading the book. Uh, the book's been out for like 40 years, so... Uh, uh, yeah, th there's no spoiler alert on that. Also, like, every fucking time, like, that movie came out. Like, what, what did I just say? Every single time that movie came out? It came out twice. Yes. Um, anyway, any t whenever that movie would come out, there would be, like, these horrible BuzzFeed articles that are like, Did you know that in the original one, they had their kids fuck each other? And I'm like, yes, I did, because I read the Wikipedia article on it. I was ahead of you, BuzzFeed, just like I always am. And BuzzFeed was like, we'll get you one day. Which one of these BuzzFeed quizzes fits your personality, which is way ahead of our BuzzFeed quiz about your personality, which is way ahead of our BuzzFeed quiz that is about your personality. And then the Try Guys come out and uh, try and do something funny and they're never fucking successful. Why do I know what their names are? I don't know. I don't care. I care about Starship I don't know. I'm pretty sure one of them's like Continue, John. Ian, one of them's like Oliver, one of them's like Soy Latte. Yeah, the, uh, how about just all of their names are bland? Okay. The, the, it's just the, Bland and the Bland Boys go to the tofu store. I, I'm that's, into it. That's what they are today. Yes. Let's get back to the movie. We are dangerously off topic right now. <laughs> Uh, Verhoeven hadn't actually read the book before trying to retrofit the script into it, so when he did that, it was the first time he had taken a look at the book, and he didn't actually like it very much. Um, this kind of led him to a place where he felt the need to uh, take liberties with it and kind of paint the concepts in Heinlein's novel in a different light than was intended by Heinlein himself. Uh, the production team kind of set out to retrofit the philosophy side of the book, into an action movie which it loses some of the appeal and i guess they had to kind of do that right because like it's false advertising like you can't just i couldn't like go and make a new podcast and then call it a uh, this american life zach edition like because you know we don't do anything like this american life does so unless you're counting that we are americans and this is our life is talking about movies and uh talking about it onto the internet with your friend who lives you know like fifteen thousand miles away so for the filming of the movie, they wanted to bring in the consulting group Warriors Incorporated, which is actually like a group of veterans and like military specialists that train actors in how to properly do things in a military film. Which is cool. So like they're trying to give some realism. Uh, I don't know what movie they thought they were working on, but... Uh... Well, honestly, considering how everybody in the film was really fresh and they did that on purpose... Uh, I think it was good for them to bring these guys in. Uh, they actually put all the actors through an 11-day boot camp to prepare them for their roles in the film. I wonder how that compares to actual boot camp. Like, I I'm sure it has to be, like, the pansy version. I was gonna say, uh, they definitely get to go back to their hotel at the end of the day. So, uh, Air Force boot camp? <laughs> My dad will enjoy that. Yeah, movie. I'm sure he will. Anyway. It's, it's always fun. I I'm sorry for anybody listening right now that I didn't find that funny. Um, it is funny. You fucking Girl Scouts. Anyway, um, uh, despite his own military background, Verhoeven had uh, a couple of disagreements with the consultants, and uh, later on, Warriors Inc. would say that they were kind of disappointed in the direction that he took the film in, and that his own quote-unquote social bias and agenda were to blame for this. Social bias and agenda? Yeah. W what, like, what agenda did he have? Well... As I understand it, Verhoeven thought that the book was exceptionally right-wing and didn't really know how to put that in the movie without making it look like a right-wing propaganda film. Which is understandable, that's absolutely understandable, but rather than taking the ideas from the book and trying to make it work, he kind of turned it into a satire. So he, he took the right-wing shit and made it into a satire to make fun of them? Or to, like, make fun of just the whole idea of war? Um, some of 
both, I think. I don't think he took any direct shots at the consulting group. I just think that uh, he kind of missed the mark in trying to convey the meaning of the novel. Also, I love it when fucking, like, conservative people say, like, oh, it's their agenda. Motherfucker, I don't have, like, one of those, like, you know, like, remember when they used to give us an agenda in elementary oh my God. school? You're gonna do this? You're gonna talk about the agenda book? <laughs> the agenda. It had a fucking ruler on it. <laughs> it had a calendar. And it had a place where you could take notes, and if you write big as fuck like I do, you were gonna need more than one agenda. And, like, you know, I don't have one of those, and I'm not just writing, you know, you know, taking my pencil, put it on my tongue. Eh. Gay people should have rights. And then somewhere in the Fox News studio, they just, like, start burning. And it's probably from the heartburn and, you know, the whole fucking heart disease shit that they got going on over there. But, you know, so, like, I hate it when they say agenda, because I'm like, I don't have an agenda, it's just... I'm right, and you're stupid. <laughs> I guess. I think this is all mostly hearsay. I don't, again, I don't think anybody was taking a direct shot at anybody else. But when you look at the novel in comparison to the film, they do look starkly different, and not necessarily in a good way. Which, I think this is a good time to go to the differences between the novel and the film. So, why don't we dive right into that? Uh, as mentioned... Right. Heinlein's novel is more of a philosophical take on military dictatorship and the shortcomings of democracy and what that could look like in the future. Uh, the movie doesn't really follow this. The movie really just focuses on like a proto-fascism type environment and it's almost like a what if Hitler won kind of thing because everything in the movie goes back to World War II. So the tactics and right. the uniforms and the weapons and like all this stuff should be very futuristic, but it's not. It's all very representative of the Second World War. Right, and like that, that was the first time I noticed something like some sort of like commentary was going on, because it's like you know, the soldiers are called citizens, and anyone who is not a soldier and a citizen is called a civilian. Right. So the idea with the novel was that. Um, after, we're going to say the events of World War II, in the 20th century, there was a downturn where society kind of fell apart because people forgot what it means to earn, like, freedom, like, to earn a good life. And so veterans took over and made a military dictatorship where you had to earn your right to vote by serving the community so that could be federal service in the military or it could be some other way it didn't have to be the military but you had to serve the country in some way in order to have a say can i be a trash man and do this uh, hypothetically yeah there were things like that there i want to say sanitation was one of them maybe like mail was another one like there's a lot of ways you can do this um you didn't have to go join the mobile infantry like everybody in the movie did well everybody some of them did doesn't matter that's not important what's important is that that was the direction that Heinlein was taking a crack at like he wasn't even saying that it was a good way of doing it it was an artistic representation in a sci-fi environment right which is like kind of like star wars where star wars was just you know a samurai movie in space yes this is a world war ii movie in space which is dope right uh in line with the idea of proto-fascism the movie is kind of made up of propaganda film pieces uh there are actual propaganda films inside of the movie which itself represents the idea of a propaganda film so you got like the scene where they're just handing the kids the guns to play with and there's like stomping on the bugs on camera everything's all nice and the colorful and pretty there's all kinds of good stuff in there and like all the like the little interstitial bits where it's kind of like a um uh, i don't know if you guys have ever seen like uh before you know movie theaters are what they are today uh empty they right. <laughs> back in like the 20s and 30s that people used to actually get newsreels before they would watch the movie so it would be like the march of war and then there would be like you know they'd be like the soldiers are over there and some of them are dying and some of them are not but then a lot of the germans are dying so buy war bonds right and <laughs> that type of thing and so th that's what the that's what they're using in the movie like it's it's kind of a play on that it is except it's it looks like an internet browser I yes guess? it's called fednet uh and i don't think that's actually a part of the book i, <laughs> I don't remember if it is or not but it's basically like uh, in 1985, how they have, like, the, the, the chalkboards. It's like in 1985 where they have, like, the blackboards in the house. It's kind of like that, where they have their own, like, system of dispersing information, and I guess FedNet is just what it's called. FedNet sounds like the email domain that someone who is entered, like, a cop is using to enter a, you know, 
chat room on the internet where people are selling cocaine and he's like, Hello, fellow drug users. I am, I am not a cop at drugnet or at fednet.com. I like it. I like this angle. I, I like this hiding in plain sight thing. Let's do this. Hire this guy. Give this man a job. <laughs> oh, God. Another thing about so, it is that the film takes place in 2197, but the novel takes place in the 25th century, which is like way further in the future. And uh, considering the progress we've made from 1959 when the novel was released to now, I think the 25th century is a much more likely time we could see something like this happening. Right, because like I was thinking about this while I was watching the movie, but like they have spaceships the size of like Manhattan. Yeah. How the fuck do you make that fly? Uh, well, it's space, so you can do whatever you want. Oh, okay, I guess. We talked about this in 20 but, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. I forgot about that. I forget things easily. It's like you <laughs> forgot my only contribution to the show. Dude, sometimes I don't even know what your name is. Continue. All right, so... <laughs> There are a lot of different romantic relationships in the movie as well. Uh, that is not at all in the novel, not even close. So there's a love triangle between uh, Carmen and John, Rico, and the other pilot guy. And then there's another love triangle between Dizzy and John, Rico, and Carl. None of that happens in the in the book. Like, in the book, Dizzy is a man, and everyone's straight, and the entire mobile infantry is also made of men. And... Carmen has basically nothing to do with him through most of the book. So, like, is Carmen still, like, his girlfriend before he goes off to war, or, like... It's a lot less explicit of a relationship. It's very, very, like, suggested that they may be romantically involved some way, but there is nothing that, like, for sure indicates that. Okay. So it's, it's not... There's no romantic anything in the book. Not really, no. Uh, nothing meaningful anyway. And also, Carl wasn't a psychic guy in the book, or at least not at first. He ended up getting the job he wanted. That's just nerd shit. We don't need to talk about that. Let's move on. So, the troopers in the novel are called cap troopers. So, they're still called the mobile infantry, but they're called cap troopers, like, casually. And they're launched from space in these little pods that hold one guy and it breaks apart into, a, like, a power armor suit. It's kind of like if, like, Master Chief from Halo was mixed with a Gundam. That's dope as shit. Yeah, and they have, like, nuke launchers on them and, like, flamethrowers and, like, laser can Like, they have a ton of shit on it. It's way more impressive than what you see in the movie. So, it was most... So, is it kind of like Mega's XLR? Maybe not that big. <laughs> Maybe not that... I'm thinking, like, um... <laughs> Oh, you know what? Like Avatar. The one time I'm going to speak good things about Avatar, that those suits that they have, it's kind of like that mixed with okay. um, Halo, like the power armor from Halo. Okay, I, I, I get what you're saying now. Yeah. So I just really wanted to make a Megas XLR. I'm glad you did, because I, I thought like about it, it too. I really did. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, mostly for budgetary reasons and like shortcomings in the practical effects, uh, they decided not to do this. Also, the suits in the book cover up the whole head, so you couldn't really see the characters. It would kind of be like an Iron Man type situation, where they're just like face up close to camera for like most of the movie, mm -hmm. and nobody wants to see that. Which I actually thought that was kind of ingenious, the way they did that for Iron Man. So that way it's not just CGI Iron Man through the whole thing. Like, you, it, like it reminds you that Tony Stark is in Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, a few other minor things like this, uh, like because they're wearing this armor uh, in boot camp when Rico accidentally gets the guy shot by taking his helmet off. That doesn't happen in the book because they weren't wearing that in the book. They were wearing the big-ass suits. Basically, the thing that happened in the book was he shot one of those mini tactical nukes in the wrong direction and there was a guy over there accidentally, but it didn't actually kill him. But he still got the lashes. Right. Yes. Which actually, when you bring up that scene, it brought up a traumatic childhood memory for me. Okay. That involved this movie. Oh, that involved this movie specifically. Yes, I remember seeing this scene as a child. Really? Yeah, my I guess my dad had to be watching it, and I was like, oh my god, what are they doing to that person? And my dad was like, get out of the room! Um, but, you know, so it scarred me. I was like, I can't believe people do that to other people. And then, you know, you learn about slavery and all those other things, and it's like, wow, humanity sucks. Yeah. I wish I wasn't born. You learned about Saudi Arabia um, two years ago. <laughs> exactly. I still don't know what it yeah. is. What's going on over Nothing there? Nothing good. 
Okay, I'll take your word for it, because I really don't want to read. Yeah. Uh, the novel actually builds the world out to be a little bit more in-depth than this one does, where it's just, like, the humans and the bugs. There's, like, other species in there. Uh, the biggest one is, like, the skinnies, which are, like, green, tall, skinny aliens with big heads. Like, exactly what you would think they would be in, like regular sci-fi oh so like you know like your basic bitch like can buy it at dollar store aliens yeah kind of like that and they're they okay. have a weird relationship with humans because they are like highly advanced the same way humans are but they aren't friends with the bugs but they also fight the humans and then they team up to fight the bugs and then it's a whole bunch of weird political stuff that i don't have any time to get into nor want to get into so can i just maybe try and break it down easy sure so the storm so the i almost said stormtroopers jesus christ so the uh the cap troopers whatever the fuck they're called in the novel they they're like america uh-huh the the bugs they're like just the middle east and then the grays are like isis um more so we are the terran federation so we have the cap troopers the bugs are the ussr and everybody else, the gray aliens are like Central America. Okay, I get it. Yeah, so they, uh, they kind of right. get used by both sides a little bit, and it's really not good for them. But really, we're just trying to blow up the bugs, and the bugs are trying to blow up us. Okay, and everybody else is like, yeah, we'll help for a charge. Of course, just like that, yeah. So uh, that's enough of the differences between the novel and the movies. You want to hear fun facts, right? Fun fact! There's a ton of them. So, to avoid an NC-17 rating, they actually had to trim four seconds off of the final scene at the Whiskey Outpost because there was, like, another decapitation that was way more graphic. Dope. Another decapitation. I'm pretty sure that would be the fourth decapitation that scene. It is kind of crazy how many decapitations there are in this movie, and it makes me believe that the MPAA has, like, a limit. <laughs> like, you can have only X amount of decapitations before it's NC-17. And it, it's just, it's a weird thing to be hung up on to me, I guess. Like, there's so many more horrific ways to die than be decapitated. Yeah, yeah. Especially in this movie, because... So much bad stuff happens to so many people. Yeah, I mean, like, th th there's. Th I think. I think the worst thing was like uh, when they had um, oh, what uh, Carmen when the bug just had its hand in her for like literally 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, like it just had its claw in her. Like that looked painful as shit. Yeah, and then like five minutes also, afterwards, she's just walking around like it's fine. Yeah, there's a few inconsistencies in the movie, but, like, I want to focus on the good shit. Of course. But, like, and then, like, you watch a dude literally get his brain sucked out, which was not as graphic as I wanted it to no, be. No, no, it wasn't. But, yeah, it kind of made up for it in, like, the previous scene where they're, like, digging around in the guy's head with their fingers. Yeah, which... <laughs> I don't know if I'm just hypersensitive to things like this because of uh, the current situation, which is uh, COVID-19, if anyone's uh, listening to this in the future like way in the future um <laughs> due to the current situation where we're all so like you know sanitized friendly like they're just straight up putting their fingers in like dead body parts and that is the absolute most disgusting thing i've ever seen in my life yeah it's pretty nasty uh it's trauma-esque i'd say uh, it, but it, it doesn't look how do I word this? It doesn't look as realistic as trauma, but it, but like trauma is also not realistic. It's not as gross as trauma. Right. I think I trauma say. is only more realistic because it's shot with such a shitty camera. Yeah. So it almost feels like you're watching someone's home movie or something. Yeah. It's realistic enough to be hidden by bad cameras. Right. 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 Completely agree. So another fun fact for you is that Verhoeven actually shot the shower scene nude with the cast on a dare from uh, Meyer. Yeah, the actress that plays Dizzy. That is a bad touch. Yeah, so basically what happened was he was like, <laughs> bad okay, touch. so we're going to have to spend a little bit of time disrobed to like feel out and get in character. Uh, feel out's a bad word. I'm not going to say that. Uh, to considering the context we're just gonna you know get into it a little bit get in the character they're like oh yeah well we won't do it if you won't do it and he just dead ass gets naked that is a power move but it is a disgusting power move right hey it worked everybody fondly remembers that and this has been confirmed multiple times because people like to deny it but i actually listened to a podcast recently with casper van dean van dean casper van dean 
And he 100% confirmed it. That is awesome. I'll take his word for it. Well, it's not awesome, but I'll take his word right. for it. Uh, Robert David Hall, the guy that plays the recruiter in one of the earlier scenes of the movie, he's an actual amputee that had his legs removed after an accident in 1978. I'm glad when they use real, like, either paraplegic or um, amputee people. Yeah. Because I feel like they get overlooked for so much. And I hate that they're usually relegated to playing a character with what they have. But at the same time, I'm glad they're getting work. Yeah, I am too. And uh, this is the second movie this month that has done this. <laughs> right, because Toxic Avenger um, used it a little less tastefully. Yeah, a little. Yeah, in, in Starship Troopers, the uh, amputee character is more used as like a cautionary thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what's going to happen to you if you go into this infantry shit. Right. Like, you're either going to come out dead or looking like me. Right. Whereas in the Toxic Avenger, it was just, uh, I'm going to rip this guy's arm off. I'm going to rip this guy's arm off and then I'm going to beat someone else with them. You know what, though? Uh, the amputee stuff and all, all that is actually really important to the story in a certain sense. Because like you said, it is a cautionary tale. And it's something that they really did on purpose with the selection of the actors for this. So all of the younger people that are joining the Federal Service, they are all really young. Like what you would think of as like conventionally good looking, innocent. And I guess I already said they're young. But that was an important part of it to him Because everybody else that has already been in the service is scarred in some way so their teacher who actually makes an appearance later in the movie lost his arm the recruiting guy lost his legs and his arm everybody else has scars all over him even their science teacher had like like scars all over her face because they were all in the service and got messed up for it but all the younger people are coming in innocent and coming out kind of messed up and that's a part of the artistic decision making there right which is you know it's war as hell it really is like even if you don't come back disfigured, your your brain might come back disfigured. Right. Like, it's it's crazy. And it's just uh, like so, something that you can't see for yourself. Like, they're told that this is the thing to do, or they're shown an image and they believe the image, but then when it comes time to see the reality of it, they can be kind of blind to it because uh, it, indoctrination. And in the book, it's like that, too. It's just constantly being subjected to imagery and constantly being subject to all these ideas that may or may not actually reflect the hard reality of it and it it's sad because like especially during like you know world war ii era you know like th this is how they marketed it to kids so that they would sign up yes that is 100 true uh again the uncanny resemblance between this movie and that we'll touch a little bit more on that later in the meantime how about some terrible decision making so uh the footage of buenos aires being destroyed by the bug meteor is actually cut from actual footage of the 1991 oakland hills fire Ooh, yeah so actual whose idea was that up. that's a bad move not good that is i'm surprised you're allowed to do that. i didn't know you weren't i i'm color me surprised um that that is horrible speaking of more poor decision making how about mark Wahlberg being picked initially to play johnny rico but he turned it down i don't know that might have been good for him because uh look where uh van derm is now yeah yeah speaking of him um at one point casper van dien was asked about his role as johnny rico he's an argentinian his name's john rico why did they pick a blonde haired blue-eyed guy to play this and his answer was well clearly he must be the descendant of nazi exiles from argentina which is totally plausible i i'm mad that he gave that much thought to that question yeah me too but you know what dude good on you good moves solid solid it makes sense i'll take it um 17 gallons of fake blood were used in this movie and more ammunition was used in this movie than any previous film like just ever, ever. jesus yeah Christ. they used more I mean, ammunition in the making of this movie than in any other movie to date like yeah because i kind of noticed like they were wasting a lot of ammunition like through the whole movie right i was like do they have limitless ammo I guess in the year 2197, like, they finally perfected, like, some sort of, um, solar energy-based gun. Oh, not at all. That's actually one of the main comments on this movie was, they totally should have had something better than just regular bullets by the year 2197, and they totally don't have it. So, that is sometimes viewed as a commentary on maybe, like, the military-industrial complex, or also just imagery from, like, a World War II movie. Like, just conventional war fighting in space it's really just a world war ii movie in space you look at like the drop ship that they all come out of that literally just looks like a landing craft straight out of a d-day film right 
I was thinking that, or it looks like the the drop ships from Halo. A little bit like that too. Like I, I could definitely see how um, Halo might have taken some inspiration from. I'm ninety nine percent sure that they did. Um, speaking of World War Two, uh, Carmen's ship, the Roger Young, is named after an actual guy named Sergeant Young who served in World War Two. Uh, he requested to be demoted to private so that he could see combat, just like Sergeant Zim did, and he was also awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously for taking out a Japanese machine gun nest with just his rifle and a grenade to save his platoon. This is the same thing that Corporal Sugar Watkins does at the end of the movie to save Johnny and Carmen. That is crazy that they actually had that much thought went into this. Exactly. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing, like, especially... Even with a movie like this, like, people do, like, when they're making it, they do think about these things. And they do pour their heart and soul into it. They really do. And sometimes it doesn't come out great. Sometimes they don't exactly, you know, get their thoughts out there onto the film but like while they're making it like they they do have these things in mind so it's not always just you know bullshit yeah no paul verhoeven said that this is his favorite movie that he's made and that must be one of the reasons was that so much went into making it and there really is so much more beneath the surface if you're willing to dig in the problem is that most people look at this and just see like a splatter sci-fi pick which is kind of true but there is a lot more to it than that right and I would love to, like, maybe, like, read someone's, like, article about this and, like, you know, then watch the movie again and try and see all of that stuff because I I picked up on a little bit of it. I picked up on some of the Nazi shit. I picked up on some of the, like, you know, some of the stuff that you were saying, but, like, not everything connected. So I really, really need to, like, have all that information and then watch it again. So maybe I could see what his artistic vision for this was. Because, like I said, like, my first viewing was kind of like a, on the meta, all right. So, what was your big clue in for the Nazi stuff? Was it the Waffen SS uniforms, or was it the federal flag that literally just looks like a swastika, but green? It was that. I saw the flag, and I was like, mm. <laughs> But also just the, you know, the totalitarian, like, shit that they were doing. Like, it, like, the, um... It seemed very Nazi-ish, like the the way that they were training them and the way that you know they talked to each other about the war. Right, it's highly militaristic. And like and like the and the classism that was going on like throughout the whole movie, like there's classism in you know the fucking infantry troopers, but there's also a lot of classism like when you get above that, and there's definitely classism between those two factions and anyone who is not in the military exactly like if you're not in the military that is a bad thing you're a bad person you don't even deserve the right to vote so yeah no i I definitely got it right and these are the kinds of things that i think heinlein wanted us to think about when we read the novel that most people aren't going to get just by watching the movie and while that's kind of a shame i'm also really glad that we have the movie right i i think I think this is like a it's a good it's a good dirty little film. Like it's it's definitely dirty. Like it's not it's it borders on, you know, midnight movie shtick to like, you know, maybe maybe like a mid afternoon HBO affair. Like it's it's fun. It is. I'm trying to say it's, it's fun. tons of fun. And uh that's about it for me, Zach. You have anything else you want to say about the movie? Did you like it? I finished this out liking it. There are a couple of scenes that I kind of was like, eh, like specifically a Dizzy's um, funeral scene. It, it was straight out of Star Trek 2, dude. I think uh, Star Trek 2 may be straight out of this, depending on how far you want to go back. Is But is Dizzy's funeral scene in the book? Uh, not the way that it was, because Dizzy technically doesn't even exist as that character in the book. Okay, but... The way that they, like, you know, put her into the coffin and then it like, she, like, shot out. That is straight from Star Trek 2 when um, Kirk pushes, you know, Spock's body, spoiler alert, into space in a casket. And that movie for sure came out before this movie. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's kind of a low-hanging fruit concept for most sci-fi because it's literally just a burial at sea in space. Right. I understand but even, like, down to some of, like, the shot... Like, go watch Spock's funeral scene and then watch this scene again. And then tell me that you don't think they're similar. Th- that's what I meant by derivative at the beginning of the podcast. Like, it's... There were a couple things where I was like, I've seen this before. But that's neither here nor there. And I do believe that we're out of time. I think this was a great episode. I think... I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And... 
John, thank you for a great month. I mean, I, I, I found some movies I like. I found a movie that I abysmally hate uh, in Puppet Master, and a great job. Like, honestly, we should do this more often. Well, I guess we're going to have to wait a year, because I'm going to take that much longer to watch some new movies. Yeah, it is going to take you a minute, like, with the, the heavy schedule I've got you on. Um, if you guys ever want to, like, hit us up on Facebook and tell us, uh, you know, some movies that you would like to hear us cover uh my sister uh hit us up on facebook and told us that she wanted to hear an episode about juno so we did an episode about juno uh so you know suggestions go a long way with us like we have no idea what the fuck we're doing so if you guys want to take the reins ever please dear god take the reins yes please we are here for you we are here for you information for you at gmail.com <laughs> Um, actually, it's inflammationpodcast at gmail.com if you ever want to email us. Uh, for your inflammation with Zach and John on Facebook, uh, we have a very inactive Twitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> almost exclusively inactive. Um, I forget that it exists sometimes. But anyway, I will get better about that if you guys want that. So just let us know what you want. Uh, give us a five-star rating on the iTunes uh, fucking podcast store, whatever it's called. Um... Five-star ratings actually get us, uh, you know, more towards the top of the class. Like, you know, people will notice us more and we'll get suggested more. So if you guys can go give us a five-star rating, that would be great. And we would greatly appreciate it, and we greatly appreciate you. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. For For Your Information, I'm Zach. And I'm Joe. We'll see you next month, guys. Who the heck is driving a sports car outside of your house? Let me guess. That's not a sports car. That's I, someone's, like, freaking lawnmower that they put a bunch of shit on. And they're like, oh, I'm going to see how loud I can make my car today. So they go outside and they rev it up and they do a donut in the parking lot. Um, I don't know what you think Pennsylvania is, but fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I'm just doing this based on what I see I don't, I don't, around my house. I don't live in West Virginia. Uh, you know what's funny, though, is that you can actually take one of those, like, um... I'm not going to use the term. I'm going to call it a, a male sex toy. Um, you can put one of those things a flashlight. over. Well, you can't use the flashlight because it's got the hard back on it. You need just the, the cylindrical silicone sleeve. I think they sell those. Don't ask me why. But they do. That. And here's why they sell that. It's so that you can use it for its intended purpose, sure. But you can also stretch it out and put it over the tailpipe of a car. So that when they drive away, you just hear... <laughs> Oh, man. I'm going to adamandeve.com right now. Worth it. <laughs>